Today's reading is from James 4, verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have to, because you do not ask God. When you ask, do you not receive? Because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says, without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Alex, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would indeed... Open our eyes to see and our hearts to experience again all that you have for us and all that you want for us. In your holy name. Amen. Well, as I said, James is quite uncompromising in his words. He challenges us very firmly in those first few verses before going on to seek repentance and then into a set of commands. I think it was, um, it was the Times, wasn't it? That infamous uh, request, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Testerton's uh, two-word answer, what's wrong with the world? I am. The world is moulded by the behaviour of its inhabitants. And I have to say the church is not immune. James is writing here to the congregations across the uh, dispersion, the diaspora. So those churches that have moved out, or those groups of followers that have moved out uh, from the centre... And James is trying to teach them how to behave. And we reach a point where he turns his attention to our desires and the perspectives we have in our daily life and therefore our impact on the world. I don't know if you've seen, I'm sure you have when you've been watching the news on TV. You may have been caught up in one and that's a protest march. And you know, you know, it's 
What do we want? More money normally. When do we want it? Now. And they just repeat and repeat and repeat. What do we want? And when do we want it? Now. That's my demand. I want it now. And I think we're sort of conditioned to that sort of approach throughout our life. It starts early, doesn't it? Some of the first words that our children ever learn. I want. At least they were with our children. Maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. But it's the same uh, whether it's a child wanting an ice cream or an adult wanting a new hedge cutter or a new kitchen aid or whatever it is. I want. And what do we expect, actually, when, of course, as adults, the first thing we ask uh, small children is, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want? Desire is a powerful driving force. And something, of course, at this time of year, which we're only too well aware of, aren't we, as we're approaching Christmas. I don't know if you've either seen... I've only read about the M&S, Marks and Sparks ad, Christmas ad this year. I haven't seen it yet. But apparently it's all about desire. The advert tells us what we need and concludes, if you want it, go out and get it. Treat yourself. And what's more, the article I was reading said that's okay. In fact, that's absolutely the right attitude to have. Treat yourself. So rather than say what's wrong with the world, perhaps we should say, well, what do we want from life? What do we want from life? If you were to go on the streets and ask people that question, what do you think their answer would be? I suspect top of the list is, I want to be happy. I want to be successful. I want to leave a legacy. I don't want to worry. I want to win. All those sorts of images and attitudes which is about self. And James has been taking us through a whole series of issues where he's saying the Christian life is not like the world. We've got to be different. We've got to think differently. And he talked about the tongue and how the tongue is really an illustration of what is inside. And here he takes it a step further and says this is the root cause, this is the thinking behind the action and the outcome. And of course, as we've already said, the real sadness is that he's speaking to the church. And when we look at the beginning, we see that um, it starts off the fights and the quarrels between people. Some translations actually say the wars between people. If you have a personal desire, it grows and comes to conflict. (coughs) And this turbulence and conflict in the early church has never stopped. I read uh, something by a 17th century Jewish theologian who said this. I've often wondered that persons who make the boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance and charity to all, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily toward one another such bitter hatred that this, 
rather than the virtues they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. That's desperate, isn't it? That's the 17th century. And some divisions are in the headlines now. And where you have division amongst, within a group, they are the headline makers. And of course we've just had Synod this week and the divisions are apparent to us all. So on a personal level, this desire can lead to anger and greed And the issue becomes more and more important until the possibility for tolerance or temperance or love gets less and less and less. And then we enter into conflict. And the the sort of fundamental attitude at the base of all of this is that we want more than we have. We want more than we have. And we justify it by saying, but I deserve more than I've got. So that's, that's okay. That's fair. So James is painting this really bleak picture. And then, in amongst it, he says, but you don't ask, do you? You don't ask. And you think, well, of course I ask. Do we? Matthew 7 says this, This is Jesus speaking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. So why don't we ask? If that promise is there that all we've got to do is knock and the door's going to be open. Why don't we ask? Is it because we're embarrassed to ask God? He's sure, God surely doesn't isn't interested in my day-to-day life? Is it because we're too busy? We're too busy getting on with things ourselves that we forget that God might be interested. And then, of course, when we do turn to God, we think, well, actually, he's not really going to listen to me anyway. Who am I? God won't be interested in what I have to say. But then I read in Philippians, do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So there we are again, being asked to go back to God. But let me tell you, the last time I asked, I didn't hear anything. And the last time I asked, God seemed to answer a different question that I wasn't asking. What's that about? God doesn't hear because if he did he'd give me what I wanted ah but that's the problem isn't it we're told that when we ask we should ask with the right motive why are we asking is it for our pleasure and our comfort or is it for the good of the kingdom of God Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he'll make your ways path, your path straight. Or what about the most well-known prayer ever recorded, which we will recite later on in this service. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
What are we seeking? Are we seeking for our good or for the kingdom of God? Again, James sets this challenge before us. What are you really asking for? What are you seeking for your life? Well, that's the first half of this chapter. Thank goodness that's over. Now we've got to repent. And then we get commands. Because as we saw last week, this is not an optional extra. Last week, of course, was remembrance. And we were looking at commands and obedience. And this is a series of commands. It's a requirement. And the turning point, for me at least, is in verse 5. God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. God wants the spirit, his spirit, God's spirit, to be in our hearts and minds. Why? Because that way we have a relationship. And I was struggling, I was thinking, how can God be jealous? Because that's, that's almost saying he, God really wants something. And he's really perturbed when we follow our own ways and do our own things. And God just wants us back. And I was out walking um, with my dog. My dog has taught me so much. He's a very bright little chap. And, of course, I start playing with my dog, and he's terribly excited. The tail is like a helicopter. And you play and you play, and he keeps going and going and going, and then I stop. And what does my dog want? More, exactly. He wants more. He just doesn't want him to stop. He wants more. Isn't that not what God is like? He longs to be with his people. He longs for that relationship. So when we say, well, that was a good service, thanks ever so much, I'm off now, I'm going to do my own thing for another seven days until I come back again. Is that what God wants? God is jealous. God longs for us. To speak daily, hourly, minutely. That we spend our time in relationship. God is jealous when we turn our backs on uh, him and follow the, the ways of the world instead. God wants Holy Spirit to be present in our hearts, working through us, that we may work out our salvation. And so what about those commands? What does James and therefore God want us to do? Well, under the direction of God's Spirit, we are called to submit, to yield to God. And and submission is usually seen as a mark of weakness, isn't it? A failure. But again, this is an active choice to give in to a better way. To stubbornly, uh, not to stubbornly resist or keep God uh, at arm's length but actually to make ourselves vulnerable open to the prompting of God's spirit to allow God's words God's influence to direct our footsteps it's to hear the voice of God and obey 
Just as we said last week, the soldier obeys the commanding officer's voice because it is for their good. And then we're commanded to resist the devil. Resist comes from two Greek words. One is stand and one is against. So put them together, stand against. How can we do that? We can do it in the strength of God, with the Spirit of God that is within us. And so we're asked to cleanse ourselves, to purify our hearts by changing our attitudes, changing our thought process. And therefore the whole passage is wrapped up in this one word which comes from the Spirit of God and that word is humility. Not to think of ourselves more than we are. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but gave himself up. Even to death. That is what we're being called to. The whole passage wrapped up in humility. To accept the will of God for our life. Now that's not as a fatalist, you know, whatever will be, will be, and I'll just have to uh, run along with it. This is following God as a choice. To choose a path which is mapped out for us, accompanied by God. And as we read, we can't follow the world and God at the same time. Love of the world is enmity to God. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher, days gone by, said this uh, of this passage. He said, this passage is a contrast between what I believe and what I believe of, of God. He said, note the contrast and note it always. Observe how weak we are and how strong God is. How proud we are and how condescending God is. How erring we are and how infallible God is. How unchanging we are and how immutable God is. How provoking we are and how forgiving God is. Observe how in us there is only ill and how in God there is only good. Yet our ill but draws God's goodness forth and still God blesses. Oh, what a rich contrast. So James is asking us to ask. Learn to ask God. Learn to seek what God wants in our life. Learn to be in relationship with God. Learn to be humble and to live in the Spirit of God and with the Spirit leading our steps. Then we can stand against the devil because we see the contrast because what God offers and the life without God. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before you now, we do see that contrast. The more that we want, the more disillusioned and dissatisfied we become because we only want more. 
So we ask and give ourselves to you now, asking that your spirit may be within us, that your spirit would fall upon us, that once again we would long for you, that we may step out from here and live a life worthy of your calling, leaning not on our understanding, on our own understanding, but on the word and the mercy of God. And we pray this, that we may build up your kingdom, we may speak to those around us, and together build the kingdom of God in our community. Spirit, fall upon us, we ask.